Choir, thank you for that. I don't know how you do things like that. It was beautiful. Thank you. And Tommy, thank you for your leadership of them. That was great. So, I have to assume that I am not the only one here who heard it growing up. Son, nothing good ever happens after midnight. Over and over again as a teenager, my dad would remind me of that whenever I would ask about staying out late with my friends. Nothing good ever happens after midnight. Of course, as I came to learn as I got older, he would know. My dad is one of those guys that the more you hear stories that he's willing to share about growing up himself, it makes you wonder about the ones that he's not sharing. He told me one time he and some of his friends were hanging out at night and they decided they were going to play a prank on a teacher of theirs. I can't remember if they wanted to do this because they liked him or if they wanted to do it because they didn't. But at the end of the day, what they decided they were going to do was go across town, sneak up to his house, drop a lit firecracker in his mailbox and get out of there before it blew. Now, a quick note. I don't know what the laws would have been back then. And of course, this would have been in South Carolina, so it's a toss-up. But these days, messing with somebody else's mailbox is actually a federal crime. And it is a policy here at the Hendricks Avenue Baptist Church that we are against people committing any and all federal crimes. So, let that be said. Anyway, my dad and his friends did not have somebody offering them good, free, legal counsel that night, and so they did. They piled into his car, headed across town, parked down the block, and cut the engine. My dad stayed behind the wheel while his friends snuck down the street in the darkness, and then suddenly he heard it. Boom. An explosion. He smiled to himself, and then all of a sudden he heard a second one. Boom! An explosion. And he couldn't figure out what was going on until his friend suddenly appeared, jumped in the back seat, and told him to take off. I thought y'all only brought one firecracker, he said. We did. I've still got it. The old codger heard us coming and came out with a shotgun. Nothing good <laughs> happens after midnight. Several weeks ago, Rebecca and I were able to go back up to Walford College for our 20th reunion. It was a fantastic time to see friends from long ago. But one of my friends might have had the singular quote for the entire weekend. 
We were there at the class party on Friday night talking with one another, and as she smiled and nodded at somebody else who was walking by, she turned to us and said, BJ, this is my own little personal hell. Half the people here, I'm supposed to remember their names, and I don't. The other half, I definitely remember, but it's not for anything that either of us wants to remember in our 40s. Nothing good happens after midnight. Some of you might have done the math or might be able to do the math, but the 21st century uh, arrived upon us while Rebecca and I were in college. And so some friends of mine and I had the great idea to welcome it in at one of their houses whose parents had gone somewhere else to welcome it in their own selves. What I remember from that night, as I sat there at the table, quietly reading my Bible, (laughs) was that nothing good happens after midnight. In the spirit of that evening, however, let me wish you all this morning a happy new year. Yes. Happy New Year to all of you. The the world around us doesn't celebrate its New Year for another four or five weeks. But like our Jewish brothers and sisters, the church runs on its own calendar. They celebrated New Year two months ago at Rosh Hashanah. But ours begins today, on the first Sunday of Advent. Advent, as many of you know, is the season when Christians like us prepare ourselves for Christmas, for Christ's arrival on the world stage. We prepare ourselves to hear again the good news of God's love made flesh, of how even in our stubbornness and our our brokenness and our selfishness, God refused to leave us alone, refused to let us wander lost in our own sin, aimless out in the dark. And yet Advent Advent does not simply look back to the little town of Bethlehem. It also looks forward Ahead to Christ's promised return when the kingdom will finally come, when sin and death will be no more, and we will all be restored to the goodness, to the beauty, and to the health and the wholeness that are ours as beloved children of God. They're ours, ours by rights. And yet you and I all know that the world that we live in, the lives that we live, are not today always marked by goodness and beauty or health and wholeness. Instead, they're marred, wounded by sin and death. And for that reason, 
Just as Advent calls us to look backwards to Bethlehem and just as Advent calls us to look forward to the final judgment, it also calls us to look around, to see the differences between things as they are and things as they ought to be, to be honest with one another about the broken places within our world and within our relationships. To be honest with ourselves about the broken places within our own lives. You know what time it is, Paul says in this morning's passage. The night is far gone. The day is near. Lay aside the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Live honorably. As in the daytime. As is so often with things like this, there are two sides to what Paul is calling us to this morning to live honorably, as he says. One is to lay aside the works of darkness. The drunkenness and debauchery and the quarreling and the jealousy that he lists out in verse 13. And certainly, living honorably ought to include avoiding quarreling and jealousies and all of the rest of it. But just as there are things to be set aside, there are things here to be taken up as well. If the works of darkness are to be discarded, Paul writes, then the armor of light is to be taken up. And not just taken up, but dressed in, clothed in, be armored in the light, Paul tells us. Or, as he will phrase it in verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, If I were to ask each of you to tell me what it means to put on the armor of light, you might have to scratch your heads and think about it for a moment before answering. But if I were to ask you instead what it means to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, then I would be willing to bet you'd be able to answer a little more quickly. After all, most of us here are Baptists. Every answer to every question that we have ever been asked in our entire lives in a place such as this has been one version or another of Jesus. So the answer here, I think, would come quickly. To love, to forgive, to be gracious to, to serve. However, Alongside that, and by way of closing, I want to look very quickly at our Isaiah text today, just for a second, because I think it will help us understand what it means to love one another as Christ loves us, to put on the armor of light, as Paul says here. Like Paul, Isaiah too is looking ahead to the coming of the kingdom. 
to the eradication of sin, to the restoration of the goodness and the beauty and the health and the wholeness that God had originally intended for all of his children and indeed for the entirety of the creation. And right here in verse 4, as he describes it, he gives us one of the most memorable images in all of Scripture. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, he says, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. It's a beautiful image. It's an image of peace, of tranquility. A world in which war itself is so unthinkable that the tools of war are quite literally bent out of shape. A world to use Paul's imagery from Romans where humanity has finally laid aside the works of darkness. And yet I would also like for us to note that in this vision of the coming kingdom, the spears and the swords, they are not simply misshapen. They are instead turned into tools For feeding one another. For feeding our neighbors. Plowshares to till the earth. Pruning hooks to harvest the fruits of the trees. In other words, in Isaiah's vision, just as in Paul's, the people of God do not simply set aside the brokenness of the world that they've inherited. They also take up for themselves the life of the kingdom that is to come. O house of Jacob, the prophet says, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Church, Paul writes, put on the armor of light. Clothe yourselves in the Lord Jesus. Each Sunday morning between now and Christmas, in our worship services, we will light one more Advent candle as a way to signify and to celebrate and to remind ourselves of the coming of the kingdom, that all evidence around us to the contrary, the night is far gone and the day is near. That our Lord's return is upon us and that as the light grows week upon week, salvation comes ever nearer. Friends, you know what time it is. At the dawning of this new day, at the beginning of this new year in the life of the church, armor yourselves in the light. Love yourselves as beloved children of God and love your neighbors with that self-same love. Set aside the works of darkness. 
and live lives that are honorable. And thus, with your entire being, in word and even in deed, cry out to the heavens, Come, Lord Jesus. Thanks be to God. Amen.